Hey, before we start, I want to remind all the distillers out there that the deadline for entering ACSA's Judging of Craft Spirits competition is March 12th. If you haven't already entered, head to AmericanCraftSpirits.org to register. We take great pride in running a professional judging program that recognizes the best craft spirits in the categories of vodka slash grain, gin, brandy, rum, ready-to-drink, whiskey, and specialty spirits. Again, that website is AmericanCraftSpirits.org, and the deadline to enter is March 12th. Thanks. We didn't have a normal. You know, it wasn't like we had a year or two of production, and then all of a sudden we had to shift gears all the way, you know, because of COVID. I think because we opened in the middle of this, it gave us way more flexibility than we would have probably normally had. To be honest, I think if we were trying to plan this during COVID, we would have just said no. I think we would say, nope, we're not going to do this. So oddly as it sounds, I, other than having to wear a mask all the time, I don't know if I would change what we did. From the American Craft Spirits Association and Craft Spirits Magazine, this is the Craft Spirits Podcast. I'm John Page, and today on the program, starting up in a shutdown. March 11th, marks the one-year anniversary of the World Health Organization declaring COVID-19 a global pandemic. And while the pandemic did force many distilleries to permanently shut their doors, startup distilleries forged ahead. One of those is Dog and Shrub Distillery of Lake Mills, Wisconsin. The still showed up in early February of 2020, and after a few delays, the distillery opened in June. Rob Campbell, who co-founded the distillery with his wife, Kim, is our guest today. That clip we played at the beginning is from an interview I did with Rob for an article about distilleries that opened up just before or during the pandemic, which you can now read in the latest issue of Craft Spirits magazine. We spoke again via Zoom in February because I wanted to dig a little deeper into opening during these strange times. But we started off talking about teaching, because up until recently, Rob was better known as Dr. Campbell to high school chemistry and physics students. Or Doc, as the kids affectionately or unaffectionately called me. They, or they often thought Doc was my first name. I'm like going, no, it's Robert. And they were always shocked. It's not Doc. So, no, I, education has been a huge part of my life. I mean, up until last year, I'd been in the classroom basically since I was five years old. You know, went to undergrad and then decided to go get my PhD in physical chemistry um, and then did postdoc after that and then kind of went through my midlife crisis at age 30 um, and decided I wanted to go back and teach high school. Um, and, you know, I looked at the influence that I'd had along my career. My high school teachers were the ones that probably influenced me more than anybody along that path. Um, also wanted to do some coaching and those types of things. So um, I ended up teaching chemistry and physics for 25 years, um, taught at everything from all boys military school to a large public school to a medium, um, you know, medium uh, public school, um, you know, and loved it. You know, it's like a lot of people go, don't you wish you were doing something else with your PhD? And I'm like, oh, no, this is absolutely where I belong. Um, you know, and I coached rugby for 20 years while I was there, um, you know, and, you know, got interactions with students, you know, all the way through that process. But after about, you know, after, 
after about 20 some years, you start looking at what am I going to do next in my life? Because I was not that teacher that was going to be there till I was 65 or, you know, 70. That's just not, you know, my plan. Um, so then my wife and I kind of started looking at what we were going to be doing next. Um, and it was just, a, it was kind of a weird confluence of things that happened. Um, a distillery opened up in Madison, Old Sugar Distillery, um, and they, their still was right behind the bar when the, <laughs> when the TTB was allowing them to do that. Um, you know, and going in there and watching that still going and, um, and then, you know, just the chemistry aspect of it. You know, my wife's a chemist as well. Um, so looking at that chemistry aspect of it, and then we went and did the bourbon trail um, down in Kentucky and looking at the fermentation. Yeah, I don't know. To me, the fermentation process is the part that keeps sucking me in, um, you know, and looking at that chemistry and the enzymes and all of that involved. And then the equipment aspect of it afterwards of using the stills and doing those types of things. I just like, well, this is cool. And then the following year, we went to Scotland and did a bunch of tours. And it was like, this was all kind of unrelated, unplanned. Um, and I came back one day and looked at my wife and goes, what do you think about starting a distillery? And she looked at me and goes, yep. <laughs> you know, because we'd both been proposing like one thing and I'd say, you know, I propose something, she'd say no. She proposed something, I'd say no. And this was the first thing that we had agreed on. So, um, And was it 2017 or 2018 when the, the idea really started to take hold for you? Uh, it would have been about 2017. Um, and it was kind of funny because a friend of ours in town owns a, a wine shop and I kind of went into him one day and I said, if you ever think about opening up a distillery, you know, let me know, you know, I'd be interested in being involved with it. And that was on a Friday night. And then by Friday night, I went home and I basically didn't sleep for the whole weekend. <laughs> and it was this evolution in my head about, well, yeah, I could do it for this. And yeah, I could do it for that. You know, and at that point, it was like a microscopic, you know, distillery that I was looking at and go, yeah, we can do that. Well, it since then has grown way bigger than that and way more involved. But um, it's just kind of cool. It's just funny how it goes from, you know, that little seed and then just takes off yeah yeah um, so, so i was looking back at your facebook again last night just to kind of get a, a sense of the timeline for you uh so it's a pre-covid world when you're well COVID is happening but it hasn't really yeah. come to the united states in uh as, as at least as far as we know, it's February 11th when your stills are arriving. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I want to say that I was starting to talk with, with family about it and reading about it more and starting to get a little bit worried about it. But th did you have any sense that day, even when the stills were coming that? No, no. I mean, that, that, I mean, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, we knew it was out there. And at that point, you know, that thought it was fairly isolated out on the West Coast at that point, because I don't even think it it hadn't hit New York really by then. Um, and it's funny, because I was just going back and looking at Facebook pages and pictures on my phone, too, and realized it was February 11th. And, you know, we were setting up the stills this week and, you know, doing all that stuff. And I guess the reality was is we had the stills all assembled and 
that's when Wisconsin went into lockdown and I didn't have electrical, I didn't have plumbing, I didn't have the steam hooked up. And all of a sudden I'm scrambling like, <laughs> is my electrician, is my plumber, is my steam guy going to be able to come out? Are they considered, you know, whatever the state was deciding was essential? Right. Um, you know, so that, and by that point, um, and they were able to come out. And then by that point, you know, the school systems had shut down. So I was actually teaching online in, here in the distillery while the guys actually were working on you know setting up the equipment which was nice because if they had questions you know i could at least you know pop out and ask you know answer questions and those types of things whereas if i would have been at school it would have been you know kind of chaotic to try to you know figure out what was going on and and that was that was in like april at that point right late march yeah late march early april somewhere in there okay and then talking to the food processor at the state because then the state wasn't sending anybody out into the field at all so i'm like going well we can't get our fruit food pro i was thinking we can't get our food processing license and i so i called him up he goes no once you get everything up and going and doing all that we'll do a virtual you know a virtual tour of the distillery and i'm like oh I mean, I was actually shocked that the state was that willing and able to, you know, at least to flex the rules a little bit, you know. So I walked around with our, walked around with the laptop and, you know, showed him the essential things and he asked for certain things. And, um, and then once they allowed them back out into the field again, he came out almost right away. But, but yeah, it was like all these things is, are we going to be able, you know, I'm imagining just sitting there for six months until they're letting, you know, people start doing work again. Um, yeah how 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 nerve-wracking is that very <laughs> i mean and i mean because fairly early on we knew the electricians the plumbers and the steam guys the state was considering those essential you know the biggest thing is you know are they going to get hit with it and not be able to continue and we were fortunate you know that so far we've been fortunate that you know we haven't had any close contacts here at the distillery um, it was to me. It was more. What is the state going to let us do? And you know that took a couple of weeks before I realized that. Yep, they're going to do it virtually. And so, and, and so I, I do want to go back to the to the fact that you were teaching. I'm, are you at the distillery right now? Yep. And I I can't really tell that. You know, you could be at. You know, based on your background, you could be like at, at, in a house. Uh, so, so tell me, like, did the did the students know what you were doing? Did your work colleagues like were they making like Walter White jokes? Like, yeah, Rob starting a, a distillery, sure. <laughs> yeah, there was some of that, and then the you know the kids because you know we were in the process of you know we built from the ground up, so we started that you know prior to the you know june of the previous year started building so my kids you know my classroom knew what i was doing and building and it was kind of neat because they were interested in the process and not not just from the typical teenage i need to get drunk aspect of it but you know especially my ap physics kids you know they wanted to know about the process and you know you know what's involved you know because a lot of them just thought i was making beer i mean it's amazing how many people think a distillery makes beer and i'm like oh no guys it's it's another level beyond that and stuff so 
And I think there was one faculty meeting where I might have, I think I took the, uh, took the a laptop and, you know, showed the staff, the distillery and those types of things. Yeah, uh, that's awesome. Uh, and so then you, you decided to officially retire from teaching, right? Yeah, I thought for a while, I thought I was going to be able to do both. You know, I thought I would teach during the day and come here at night and, you know, do stuff. And then, you know, once we opened, once I started distilling in May and early June and, and opened up, actually, we opened up eight months ago today. We opened up June 19th. Um, once we started doing all that and realizing there's no way I could do both. You know, yeah. working, work, you know, working, I mean, 60 to 80 hours and then teaching on top of it, I realized there was no way that I could do that. So I retired, I think it was June, I finally submitted my letter of resignation. Okay. But, but that was another scary part too, is, you know, we didn't know what was going on with the pandemic. And, you know, I waited until the very last minute to submit my resignation, just because if things went really south, at least, you know, having my teaching salary and be able to do that, you know, was a lifeline financially, <laughs> Right. you know? So again, yeah, they play in that, you know, balance between, you know, do I keep my teaching job? Do I not? And having to make that, I think I had to make the decision by June 15th, which, you know, we were in full midst of the pandemic. Although he retired from teaching, Rob has been able to reconnect with some former students at the distillery. Some of them I haven't seen in 15 years. I had a kid that I hadn't seen in 15 years, and he came in, and it was a slow night, and I sat down at a table, and we talked for two and a half hours. I mean, so it's it's kind of that, it's kind of that nice ability to interact with them again, and especially because when I, you know, when I retired last year, I didn't even, you know, I we walked out mid-school year and I never got to go back and you know say goodbye to the kids or whatever so at least this gives me an avenue to you know still have some interaction with them. After a break Rob talks about Dog and Shrub's grand opening during the pandemic. This podcast is a production of the American Craft Spirits Association and Craft Spirits Magazine. ACSA is the only registered national nonprofit trade group representing the U.S. craft spirits industry. Through conventions, webinars, publications, competitions, special programs, and more, it's our mission to elevate and advocate for the community of craft spirits producers. Learn more at AmericanCraftSpirits.org. Craft Spirits Magazine is the unparalleled resource for in-depth insight and intelligence for the entire craft spirits universe. The bi-monthly digital magazine features the information and analysis that small independent spirits producers and allied businesses need to operate in today's complex craft beverage market. To see our latest issue and subscribe for free, visit craftspiritsmag.com. Not surprisingly, when Dog and Shrub opened in June, the tasting room looked a little different than the Campbells were imagining pre-pandemic. One saving grace was an outdoor patio. It was about 40 by 80 feet patio outside. Um, And that saved us. I mean, because people weren't wanting to sit inside at all. I mean, it was, you know, so, and I don't know too also at that point if people really knew how much, I don't think people were as restrictive either quite in June. 
you know, we got a lot of groups in of 12 and 15 people that were sitting outside on the patio and things like that. Um, things that we don't see anymore. Usually it's groups of two and four that we're seeing now as we get into it. So, um, but our, our opening Saturday was, I think our second busiest day since we've been open. Okay. You know, and it, you know, it's my only, at that point, we didn't have any employees. It was my wife and I, <laughs> um, neither of us had ever bartended before. Um, you know, so at that point we only were, had vodka that we were selling. And I think at that point we had seven drinks. Well, even at that point, you didn't have the drinks memorized as to what you were doing. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and you know, you don't, you don't, don't even know how much lemon juice or lime juice and those types of things that, you know, you need. And Luckily, my family was in town. My mom and dad and brother and his wife were in town. And, you know, th thank God, because we would have just died if they wouldn't have been there that first Saturday. Yeah, I bet. But, you know, so, and then as things went along, then, you know, I, groups got smaller. People were sitting further apart from one another as the summer went along. But And, and I'm assuming you you got a better grasp on the little things like how much how much lemon juice you need <laughs> well and the, you know we actually got a, a juicer too originally the first weekend all we had was one of those little hand juicers oh, wow. you know so doing lemons and limes by the court <laughs> and stuff so yeah i mean and then we didn't hire a, a bartender until august i think it was so it was just me and my wife for the first two months because a we didn't know how busy we were going to keep you know, we didn't know how busy things would be. We didn't know, you know, was there going to be another shutdown, those types of things. Um, what What are some other examples of things that you might have had to change from your your original plan because of COVID or, or just other ways that you got creative throughout all of this? Um, I think, well, I mean, being an educator, partly what I had always wanted to do was talk about spirits, you know, because even me getting into this is I didn't know how much I didn't know about spirits, you know, not, you know, and simple things about, you know, what makes brandy brandy and rum rum and those types of things, you know, knowing whether it's made from a fruit or sugar and things like that. And you get into it early and don't know about it. Um, you know, I think with the distillery world, you know, not knowing who makes it too, you know, with a lot of stuff being rebranded and those types of things that, you know, that's an education aspect that I want to do. Um, also teaching people that, you know, cocktails can be, you know, as savory and sweet and delicious as any food item that you have, you know, so those are all classes and things I wanted to do that we haven't been able to do. And we're just starting to in March, my wife is doing a gin class in March um, the other part was always to have tours of the distillery. We haven't done anything in terms, you know, we, I've done tours where, you know, somebody shows up and I show them around, but I haven't done any formal tours. Um, we're starting to do that. We're starting to do that in March as well. So, we're, you know, things are starting to open up, um, you know, but it's just, you know, again, all those decisions that you make, you have to start thinking about am I putting a lot of people in close proximity that I shouldn't, you know, talked about having, you know, a fire pit out on the patio. 
And then all you do is you visualize, well, there's going to be 10 or 12 people sitting around that fire pit. And we're like, oh, no, that's not something, you know, at this point that we're ready to do. Um, we had um, a festival in town here two weeks ago, and it, I think the high for the day was 10. And we had said that we were going to have a fire pit outside. And I'm like going, okay, I'll light the fire, put it out there, thinking nobody was going to stand outside. And when we had, you know, we had small groups of three or four that actually typical Wisconsinites standing up by the fire pit at, at zero to 10 degree weather and the wind blowing and those types of things. So, um, but it wasn't the massive crowds, you know, that you probably would have seen in the past. So. Um, so, so I want to talk a little bit about the distillery in general and also get into some of your products. Uh, explain the name dog and shrub for people. <laughs> um, the first part, the dog part is our, our love of dogs. Um, it, one of the things that what we've done on the walls on here, and I don't know if you saw any pictures on the website or if we have them, but basically we have pictures of dogs on the wall. Um, most of them are family dogs or, you know, of some type, um, some other pictures of other dogs, but most of them are dogs that we know are related to. Um, so that's the dog part. Um, also, whiskey before it's aged is called white dog, so, you know, so that's kind of that play on turn, play on words. Um, the shrub part gets into the cocktail part. Um, my wife, um, who has a tremendous palate um, and ability to create things, has um, been working on vinegar-based syrups. Um, so then she's been taking um, those vinegar-based syrups and creating different shrubs to use in our cocktail, which is where that shrub part has come. And I think, um, you know, they used it as a preserving process in the early 1900s. Um, and it's starting to see kind of a comeback. Um, like right now, she has a lavender blueberry shrub that she has that goes well with our vodka. Um, and it's in a pear ginger that she has that goes with our rye whiskey. So it's, you know, it's kind of funny that how the different shrubs too interact differently with the different spirits that we have. And this is a good place for me to mention that I'm pretty sure that uh, blueberry lavender, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that we have a recipe for that in the magazine so people can check that out there. Yeah, I think oh, yeah. that was the one you shared with us. Uh, yep, that, yeah, yeah, you are right. It is. <laughs> uh, awesome. Uh, and I'm a dog person, but I'm assuming cat lovers are also welcome at the distillery. Yeah. <laughs> cat, well, cat lovers are welcome. Um, but if you do bring our, your dog, because we are very dog friendly, um, we bought a Polaroid camera and what we do is we take a picture of the dog and we have a wall of fame up on the, where you come in, where you can see that your dog is, you know, picture of your dog is hanging. So I love it. That's awesome. Um, that's really cool. Assuming um, we have time, not swamp so bad that we don't have time to go out and take pictures, which happens yeah. occasionally. <laughs> Uh, and then so digging into your products, we, we were talking about uh, you'd started with a wheat vodka. I know you introduced a gin. You, you, you were dabbling with uh, or you've, you've got a coffee infused vodka, I believe. Yeah. Uh, last time we spoke, you were just starting to work on bourbon. So uh, what uh, what can you tell us about all those? Um, so, so the vodka that we use is a wheat base. Um, what we've trying to do is ultimately get our wheat grown here at the distillery. Um, our, we have 10 acres here, five of it that is farmable. 
Um, so someday we hope to get our wheat here, uh, grown here at the distillery. And then I guess we could call it an estate vodka at that point. Um, totally. <laughs> um, but again, what we're trying to do is get with local farmers. So what I've been doing is uh, Jay Retzer at Ledger Rock Distillery in Fond du Lac, his, his distillery is on the family farm. So what I've been doing is buying the wheat from him. So because we're small enough, you know, one of my mashes is only 400 pounds of wheat. So what I do is I load up my Subaru and five gallon pails and go up there and pick up 400 pounds of flour and, and bring it back, which I'm the nightmare of someday of me getting in an accident and <laughs> having 400 pounds of flour flying through my car is a visual I always have. Right. Um, so, I mean, so that's the wheat part of it. Um, you know, it's kind of, interesting when we have people taste it in the tasting room um they go i didn't know vodka could taste so good you know because in wisconsin we get a lot of people that'll you know drink some of that lower shelf vodka which <laughs> you know doesn't have the richness and doesn't have the flavor you know the aromas that you know some of these good vodkas have um and then we chose the wheat base and then it's transitioning into the gin um, we chose the wheat base because my wife wanted to use that for the base for the gin. We took a class out in Portland on gin and they had all the different bases. They had like a wheat base, a corn base, a potato base, and I don't remember what other one. And you're like going, well, this is vodka. It really shouldn't taste different. And it does. And, it, and the, and the mouthfeel on your tongue, it's amazing how it is. You know, I find corn, Corn coats your tongue a little bit more than the wheat does. You know, I feel like the wheat evaporates, a little, the vodka evaporates a little bit more, which is what we wanted for our gin. Um, so then when we got into the gin, that was, again, all my wife's whole recipe. And she had been practicing on making the gin before we even started breaking ground. So um, and it's when I listened to the previous podcast and she was talking about taking a year to go through and making her gin, you know, yeah, I mean, it's it's amazing. You don't think it should take that long, and it takes way longer <laughs> than it ever, you know, ever think it should. Right, right. Yeah, that was uh, that was Alex Castle from Old Dominic yep. Distillery who would who would mention that she they they went through about forty test batches. So, yep. yeah, yeah, we're probably. I mean, because what she started doing is just soaking the you know the botanicals and the gin which is gonna be very different than you distill it. So then what I did is I distilled each of them separately and then she mixed them and then got kind of a ratio and then you put them in the still together, which is again, the chemistry of it's gonna change when you got those different botanicals together and then you start tweaking it. And you know, and ours is pretty citrus forward and you get to that point where you're like going, oh, let's put some more citrus in there. And then you're going, because you, you like that flavor, and then you get to that point, you're like going, no, that's not what should happen. You know, so you start tweaking it with that, um, you know. And then also what she was trying to do is, you know, a lot of people with their gins are trying to make it, you know, local, you know, to the region or having flavors that are local to the region. So what we have is we have some Centennial hops that's in our gin in reference to the beer of Wisconsin. Um, we also have some fennel in there because of the German heritage and then some elderberries that we have in there. So, so those are flavorings that we have in there that are probably less traditional. Um, and ours is a little bit lighter in juniper than you'll find probably with most. Um, just trying to get more people to, 
to get into that entry to gin, you know, because so many people are trying to start off with that British dry and, and you know, not, not for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah and so and so then you you are also making whiskey yep so um what i we did is we just started i barreled four barrels of bourbon we did and we're doing starting small 15 gallon and 30 gallon right now so we did bourbon i barreled those two weeks ago um and then right now i'm working on some rye trying to get those in there um and then last night we just actually barreled um 15 gallons of gin to try to do some barrel aged gin to see how that turns out too Very so nice. um you know so right i mean we were stuck in the vodka stage for a real long time and part of it is because we were the tasting room was so busy i wasn't having time to spend as much time in the distillery as i was hoping to um, and then now the bartender that we had initially hired, we've increased her hours so that now I can spend more time in back and not necessarily bartending all the time. So now we're starting to get a lot of these things coming out. So did, did you find um, that you en enjoy the bartending? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, to me, it's, it's chemistry. You know, so it's, <laughs> you know, except it's drinkable as opposed to the stuff that I dealt with in the chemistry lab. Um, you know, and it's good to be up. And I guess now that things have slowed down a little bit, we've had more of a chance to go out and interact with our customers and those types of things. Whereas, I guess, you know, going back to the pandemic is early on as we were having the customers pick up their drinks from the counter and, and bringing their empties back. So we weren't really spending any time at all out at the tables talking to them. You know, and now that things have slowed down a little bit, and, you know, and we're back inside, we're getting some time to do that. And, you know, that's the nice part. That, again, that's, I guess, where some of the education and talking to people about what our spirits are, you know, letting people know that the coffee vodka that we're making is where you there's a local roaster in town that we're using a cold brew from him and he brings me six pounds of coffee at, you know every monday and i have a batch of coffee vodka by the end of the week and those types of things and and letting people know that we're doing local as much as we can so are, are you finding that's just like a, a, a huge thing for people right now the local aspect yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, and I hope that's something that after this pandemic is done, is that, you know, people continue to focus on local. Um, you know, that's what we were finding, you know, like we started asking people when they came to visit us, where were they from? Well, we got a bunch of small communities within five, 10 miles, and that's almost everybody was coming from is, you know, nobody was really, nobody's coming from Milwaukee and nobody was coming from Madison. Um, and now what we're finding, finding now a little bit more is people are willing to travel a little bit longer distances and those types of things. More with Rob Campbell after one final break. This podcast is a production of the American Craft Spirits Association and Craft Spirits Magazine. ACSA is the only registered national nonprofit trade group representing the U.S. craft spirits industry. Through conventions, webinars, publications, competitions, special programs, and more, it's our mission to elevate and advocate for the community of craft spirits producers. Learn more at AmericanCraftSpirits.org.
Craft Spirits Magazine is the unparalleled resource for in-depth insight and intelligence for the entire Craft Spirits universe. The bi-monthly digital magazine features the information and analysis that small, independent spirits producers and allied businesses need to operate in today's complex craft beverage market. To see our latest issue and subscribe for free, visit craftspiritsmag.com. While I was working on that story about distilleries that opened during the pandemic, I asked each person if they could go back in a time machine and open at a different time, would they take that chance? I posed that question again to Rob. Um, I don't, I don't know. This may change from what I told you in the story. I, I don't think so. I mean, I feel we're happy and comfortable with where we are as a distillery. Um, in some ways, it may have taken us longer to get where we are. I mean, again, you're looking at the magic box and, um, but, you know, we're happy. We have people who, are, you know, enjoy coming here. We got regulars. We have um, people who enjoy our spirits. Um, I think we've, again, like I said, I think we've slowed down our rollout of things because of the pandemic. But I think in the process, we have done things much better because of that. I think we've put more thought into it rather than just say, hey, let's try this, you know. But no, I mean, I mean, I think almost, if anything, I would go in the future. I wouldn't go in the past because if we started two years ago, we might have a staff of, you know, 10 or 15 people and we might have to say, sorry, we, you know, we only got enough room for one or two of you, you know, and that's happened with a lot of distilleries. Um, and it- when we when we spoke last you you also mentioned that your your actuals for your first like six months were were actually better than what you projected i'm assuming that maybe you were you were you were just very smart on how you projected things but uh (laughs) talk a little bit about that yeah i mean i and i was projecting you know i was in this process, we've gotten to know some very good distillers in the state of Wisconsin. And, you know, talking to some people that have distilleries, you know, of similar size and those types of things and going back and talking to them about what their first year, what they did, you know, and, and one of them was 10 years ago where the distilling world was a very different place. And I kind of looked at his numbers and said, okay, we could probably do that. And we've done what I thought we would do in a year. I think we did it in about six months. Um, and then now, and that was just with vodka and rye, you know, we introduced the rye that we got from another distillery about a month and a half after opening. Um, and then now we're introducing the gin and the vodka or the gin and the coffee vodka. And what we're, I'm finding our bottle sales in the tap room or the tasting room, um, have shot up big time. You know, everybody talks about kind of a lull after Christmas and, it's, it's not as good as it was in December, but it was better than it was in October and November leading up into Christmas. So we're still seeing good bottle sales. And I just think it's, you know, somebody comes in for a bottle of vodka and says, oh, you got coffee vodka. Let me try that. And, um, you know, so having more products is helping as well. Yeah. Um, anything else that you're working on or, or excited to work on in the future in terms of um, what I want to do is I want to, 
do a collaboration project. I want to make a malt whiskey with one of the local brewers, you know, have them do, you know, because they're using the whole grain as opposed to the flour. And I, you know, I know in Ireland and Scotland, they're, you know, they're not using the flour often like we do, they're using the whole grain. Um, and I want to have a brewer go through and do the whole fermentation process and do all of that and then bring it here and I do the distillation and put it in a barrel here. I mean, to me, once we get to that collaboration point, you know, I'll be very happy. Um, working on some flavored things too, working on some like limoncello and some of the flavor, you know, the flavored vodka stuff seems to be, you know, very appealing too, so. I'm just not sure I want to peel that many lemons. <laughs> Front, uh, a distillery up in Door County, Hatch Distillery, just had put it in a post where they said that they got 5,000 lemons that they have to zest for making limoncello. And I'm just like thinking of the horror of having to do that. So. Right, right. <laughs> so now that you've been through the, the past year on this, uh, opening a distillery amidst the pandemic. Um, <laughs> what, what advice do you have to someone who might be out there right now who's on the fence about whether or not to, to start a distillery? Um, my advice is to do it. Um, my advice is even if you plan for extra expenses, it's going to cost even more money than you ever <laughs> thought. And everybody says that, and I thought I was prepared for it. And, you know, but I think the cool thing about distilleries that people are doing is everybody's got their unique spin on it and providing something very different. You know, for us, you know, our focus was on the tasting room and providing cocktails, you know, that, you know, Ours are probably more of the classics 1960s cocktails with the Manhattans and the Gimlets and those types of things, um, but make great cocktails using fresh ingredients and those types of things. You know, that was our perspective. And I think come up with your spin and your idea to make it unique, to make, you know, make, make it a draw. And, you know, I, I think there's a market for it. Um, you know, especially in Wisconsin, I think we're at 35 distilleries, you know, and more are popping up now. Um, but I still think there's plenty of room for more. You know, I don't feel like I'm, in, I don't feel like I'm in competition with any distillery in Wisconsin. I feel I complement the other distilleries in Wisconsin, um, you know, and, and have the ability to interact with them and ask for advice from them. And they're still willing to freely give it. So um, you know, it, it's a cool community. I mean, that's partly what we've been impressed with since the very beginning. You know, we at, we took a class up at Northern Waters Distillery in Manaqua, and it was a spend a day with the distillery. And this was after my wife and I kind of decided, you know, we wanted to do this, and we spent a whole day up there. And and Peter was nice enough to take us all the way through the mashing process to the bottling process in one day. You know, but that's great. Yeah. To have a distiller to be willing to do that was awesome um, and great. So, I mean. the uh, I think the only other thing I, I meant to ask you earlier, because um, I, I use, I, I'm planning to use this kind of high up in, in my story. 
um, is I, I was asking you if uh, early on, uh, you know, after the stills come, the uh, the pandemic hits, were you, was there a point where you were really scared that it just wasn't going to pan out or that, did you think maybe we can just stop this for a while or were you in too deep at that point? Well, and that's what we get a lot of people, you know, a lot of people that before we open, you just come to, well, you still going to open? And I'm like, oh, we're, dude, we're so deep into this. You know, there's no turning back at this point, you know, and, you know, the biggest thing is, is when were they going to allow tasting rooms to open? You know, because for a long time, Wisconsin wasn't allowing anything at all in that aspect. And there's still counties in Wisconsin that still are not allowing a lot. Um, but yeah, we were so far into it. I mean, I think the big shift, and I think I told you this last time too, is we had never planned a wholesale at all. Um, and I think that's probably the one big shift that we did is we ended up having to find a wholesaler real early on because if, if our tasting room was going to be closed for six months or a year or whatever, that was the only outlet that we had. Um, and we haven't pushed it a lot, but at least it's nice to have our products out there on the shelf. You know, it's good advertising for us now, but that could have ended up being the only avenue that we had. Yeah. But yeah, there was a lot of investment and, you know, especially because we built and my wife and I are the sole owners and, you know, and at some point you just get to the point where you say, we just got to keep going regardless of, <laughs> of what happens because, you know, we're, you know, like you said, the stills came February 11th. We were close enough to at least completing if there would have been, you know, if it would have been, if the stills were coming in October, you know, in June or July, it might have been a different story, but gotcha. we, were, we were at a good point just to keep pushing ahead. That's our program for today. Thanks again to Rob Campbell for joining us. You can learn more about Dog and Shrub at dogandshrubdistillery.com. We'll be back again in a few weeks with Abby Titcomb of Three Floyds Distillery. Until then, thanks for listening, and cheers. <laughs>